tonight we are going to talk about, as an athlete might train and uh, build up his or her body for an athletic contest or an event, we're going to talk about bulking up our faith, building up our faith, bolstering that. We're going to be back in Second Peter, uh, this time in chapter 1, and I would invite you to turn there with me uh, in your Bible or a Bible, Second Peter 1. We're going to be in Second Peter 1 most of the evening, but we're going to flip around to several places as we think about bolstering our faith, adding to our faith, which, by the way, I think is a great purpose, generally speaking, for our time together on Sunday nights. We, of course, would love for more of our folks from Sunday morning to be back with us on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, but those of you who do decide to come back, I think it affords us an opportunity to dig a little deeper than we might on a Sunday morning, in a Sunday morning sermon. We have an opportunity tonight in a more casual setting uh, to open up our Bibles and to hope, hopefully build up our faith as a result. And your presence here shows me that that's what you desire. Uh, that one sermon and one Bible class lesson was not enough for you, that you desire to grow your faith deeper. Uh, and so I think, you know, we sometimes do some different things on Sunday nights, but on the whole, generally speaking, I think it's a good purpose uh, for our Sunday night time together to, to dig a little deeper in the Scripture so that our faith can grow deeper as well. We're going to be in 2 Peter 1. I'm going to start at verse 3 here. After Peter has introduced himself in this letter Let's dive right into verse 3, where the apostle says, His, or God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. God has given us everything that we need, Peter says here, to prosper in this life to experience life, and to live in a godly way. And this is not something that we could have done for ourselves. It could only have come from God and His grace and His power to grant us salvation and to provide for us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And all things that pertain to life and godliness is mentioned here by Peter by faith, we believe all those things can be found in this book, in the Holy Scriptures, in God's Holy Word. Peter says there's no need to look elsewhere for what will bring you life and what will help you prosper. It reminds me a little bit of what Paul said in Galatians, uh, the first chapter, verses 8 and 9, about the, the exclusive nature of the teaching of the gospel. Paul here says, as he is talking to this church in this region about turning away from the gospel, turning to a different gospel, he's alarmed, he's disturbed that so many were adopting other teachings. They were turning away from what Paul had, had taught and preached when he was in their midst. He says in verse 8, even if we, meaning himself or one of his co-workers, even if we came back into town and started saying something different than we said before, 
don't listen to us. Uh, he, says, he goes one step further. Even if an angel from heaven should come down and preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached, let him be accursed. Even a heavenly being. Don't listen to anything else. What we have delivered to you is once and for all, it's all that you need. He says in verse 9, as we've said before, I'll say it again. If anybody's preaching to you a gospel that is contrary to the one you received, which he said earlier is not really a gospel, it's a distorted, manipulated version of the gospel. If somebody comes proclaiming something different, don't listen and let that person, as Paul says, I've said it before, let him be accursed. As Peter says, we have everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness, and it's found right here in God's holy word. So we don't grow in our faith by collecting new ideas and new thoughts. We grow in our faith by diving deeper into the knowledge that we already have before us. And it truly is a bottomless well, a wellspring of life and truth. And we really can never plumb the depths of it. And so let's keep going in verse 4. Peter continues, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter reminds us that we are abundantly blessed in Christ, that we are the beneficiaries of these wonderful promises. The forgiveness of sins, not something, again, that we could do for ourselves. Sin removal, only God could bring such a thing about. And he's only done so through Jesus Christ. The presence of the Holy Spirit, which is the manifestation of the presence of God, with us, inside us, guiding us throughout this life. One of the grand blessings of being a Christian. Uh, the church, a family of God, the people who have been redeemed. What a great blessing the church has been to my life. I'm thinking of the church the world over. This church, this local congregation of God's people seeking to do God's will. What a great blessing that this church has been to me. And of course, eternal life. Life that carries on beyond the grave in God's very presence. And then as that song says, great is thy faithfulness, 10,000 beside many more thousands of blessings that we could enumerate uh, besides these big ones that we mentioned, all coming through Christ. We've been abundantly blessed in Christ. And through these blessings, Peter says, we can partake in the divine nature. We can share in God's nature. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we eventually will become God, that we will be absorbed into the, you know, the, the person of God. Um, it means, rather, that His image that is stamped within us already from creation will be rehabilitated. I'm losing all the babies tonight. They've all, they've all exited. Man, got to step it up. Okay. <laughs> if the adults start falling out, that's when we're in trouble. Okay. <clears throat> 
we can become partakers. <laughs> that room's filling up back there. We can become partakers in the divine nature, the image of God within us that we know is within us from what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 is rehabilitated. It's been marred. Uh, it, it, it's been damaged by the fall, by sin. But when we come to Christ in faith, that begins uh, to, to be reshaped and, and reformed within us. I think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We talked about this text uh, when we discussed glory a few weeks ago. He says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, from one degree of glory to another, bit by bit, little by little, throughout our lives. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so, through these promises, we become partakers of the divine nature, of the image of God. We've escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And verse 5 says, for this reason, in other words... Peter is saying, so that you may partake in the divine nature, so that you may begin again to resemble the image of God, then make every effort. And you know, some people of faith, some Christians, feel very uncomfortable talking about us making an effort. And I understand to a degree that we never want to suggest that we play any role in the original offer of salvation. You know, there's no way without God that we could be saved, that we could receive salvation. Salvation is a, a gift from God, and, and only because God has intervened on our behalf do we even have a shot, do we even have the hope of being saved. But it is true uh, that we must respond in an appropriate way in order to receive salvation. And it is true that our faith must be evident in the way that we live for us to maintain and keep salvation. Peter certainly has no problem here in saying, once salvation has been received, you need to put forth some effort. And certainly God is working within us and His Holy Spirit is within us and Jesus is with us and God enables and empowers us to do what he's called us to do, but that still is going to require some initiative on your part. It doesn't totally remove your responsibility to work hard and to make every effort to add to your faith and to be more faithful. Peter says it's going to take some dedication and work on your end after you have received salvation. So, Make every effort to supplement your faith, to add to your faith. This is when we begin talking about building up, bolstering, bulking up our faith. And what he's about to share is not an exhaustive list. And it's also not a legalistic code where you know, we get one mastered and then we add the next one and the next one and the next one. Uh, this is simply qualities not a complete list of qualities, but qualities that Peter here wants to share as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit that ought to result from faith. If we are people of faith, then inevitably, naturally, these are things 
that will become increasingly evident in our lives. So the first thing that he says here, he says, for every reason, make every, or for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with, number one, virtue. Supplement your faith with virtue. The Greek word that is translated virtue here is arete, and it might also be translated excellence. And it's used often by the Greek writers to describe the sum of all desirable character qualities. It's sort of a catch-all. It's an umbrella term. It sort of captures the entirety of all the character qualities that you should want to possess. Excellence. I have no problem talking about excellence in regard to our faith. When we talk about excellence, we're not, talk, we're not talking about sinless perfection. And we don't want to do so in a, in a haughty, self-righteous, better-than-you way. But there's not a problem with, with um, having as our goal, with aspiring to be a more excellent disciple, a more excellent follower of Christ. Should be a goal for all of us. Virtue, that is the idea that Peter describes here. He says, first of all, add to your faith. You've got a foundation of faith. Build on that virtue. And he says also, in addition to virtue, this idea of completeness, of excellence, of living a virtuous life, he says also, add to your virtue knowledge. Knowledge. And he probably means here the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, his identity, of what he did while he was on earth, his ministry, of what God accomplished through him. And again, these are not facts about Christ that you, know, you can get down pat and you've memorized them and now you're done. We will never exhaust our knowledge about Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, God in the flesh. Our knowledge of Christ ought to be ever increasing. Uh, we, it's not, <laughs> I'm losing one more. It, it, we don't, um, it's not something that we ever master. You know, we, it's not something that we get down pat. We may know truths, and then we revisit those, and we go deeper into those, and we come to a greater understanding than we had before. Even though it's something we already knew, we know it now on a deeper level. That should characterize the life of, of faith, of discipleship. We're constantly growing. I mean, take Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 as an example. This passage alone, these few verses alone are enough to keep me busy for a while. Colossians 1, starting at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Speaking of Jesus. He's the firstborn of all creation. By Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He's before all things and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
Do you fully understand all that is laid out here in describing the Son of God? I once spent an entire sermon series digging into each one of those phrases and seeking to come to a better understanding. We will never exhaust our knowledge about Jesus Christ. Peter says, add to your faith knowledge in increasing measure. Aim to understand in a deeper way who your Lord and Savior is and what He's done for you. You'll never quite grasp it, but you will become even more grateful for Him as your knowledge increases. He says, add to your knowledge, supplement your knowledge with self-control. Self-control. Now we are in verse 6 of 2 Peter 1. Self-control, the final fruit of the Spirit, listed in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. These qualities that the, that the Spirit is to produce in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I wonder if it is a coincidence that this one comes last in the list. Is this one the most difficult to master? The, the New Testament emphasized the, emphasizes the importance of bringing under control our sinful desires and our passions. Bringing under control our words and our lusts and our actions, and our just manner of life. So important to God that we, with His help, bring ourselves under control. I think about what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7. As he is writing to this young minister for whom he is a mentor, he says... God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and what? Self-control. That's something you must master. That's something you must add to your faith. And he says also, I want you to add to self-control steadfastness. This is an I'm going to stick with it no matter what attitude. I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to endure. I don't care what life throws at me. I don't care what I have to face. I will not abandon my Lord. I will not, not give up on my faith. I shall not be moved. Just like a tree that is planted by the waters. Steadfastness. Such an important quality for us to develop. Peter might have in mind here steadfast, steadfastness against false doctrine, against error. Uh, because a little bit later, as he closes out the book, uh, he talks about people who want to distort and twist the Scriptures. And in verse 17, he says, You, this is Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17, You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away, that you are not swept away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability or... That could be translated steadfastness. Plant your feet. Do not be moved. Stand firm. Be steadfast. Add that to your faith. And add this to godliness. 
to self or to steadfast steadfastness godliness supplement godliness the greek here is eusebia which could be translated devoutness or piety or devotion this is about living a life that is wholly pleasing before god we've already encountered this word tonight back in verse 3 where we begin where it says that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has shown us how we can live in a godly way. And in our text from this morning, from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, since the end is near, since Jesus is coming back soon, since the world and the universe, the entire cosmos, will be totally changed and, and uh, it will be done away with as you know them, since you know that that day is on its way, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Embrace godliness. And to godliness, add brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. Our affection for one another as the redeemed of God, should be growing all the time. We are part of a very special group. The remnant who will be saved on the last day. Not by our own doing or by our own goodness, but because of God's grace. We have been brought into this family. And what a blessing this family, not just this local family, but the church all over the world is to each of us and our love for one another, though we might sometimes get on each other's nerves, though we might sometimes be annoyed with this brother or this sister, our love, our affection for one another should be growing all the time. Have you noticed what Peter, how Peter addresses the believers that he's writing to in this letter throughout he calls them beloved they are not just beloved by God they are beloved by him he loves them and our brotherly affection for one another should be all the time increasing we need to add that to our faith uh, I have long been struck by what Paul has to say in first Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8 to the church at Thessalonica it's evident as you begin to read that letter that the people to whom he is writing are very special to him, are very dear to him, and they share a very intimate bond. And he says, and I love this, in uh, verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, being affectionately desirous of you. Being affectionately desirous of you. I, we long to be in your presence. We long to enjoy your, the, the fellowship that we have with you. He says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. We didn't want to just share with you a sermon. We didn't want to just teach you a Bible lesson. We didn't want to just deliver to you a message. We wanted to share with you our very own selves, our very lives. And that should be the desire that we have for one another.
we don't want to just share a few on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night with a fellow brother and sister in Christ. We don't want to just share at a table down the hallway when we have a fellowship meal. We, like Paul, should be affectionately desirous for one another. We don't want to just come here and exchange greetings and pleasantries and niceties. We want to share with one another our very lives. Add that to your faith. Peter says, brotherly affection. Always room for growth in that area. And then, to brotherly affection, love. Love. Last for a reason, I think. Because love is the ultimate result of faith. That's ultimately what we're all after. It's what Paul says that he and his co-workers were after when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He says, the aim of our charge, our goal, our purpose is love among you that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. It's love. Now, what is the difference here between love and brotherly affection? We've just talked about brotherly affection, and now here's love. I think the contrast is our affection should extend beyond the household of faith, beyond believers. And I think about what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 5, verses 46 to 48. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Yes, grow in brotherly affection, but let love spill over the boundaries of the church and extend into the world. You are called to love more than those with whom you are in fellowship. For God so loved the world. You so love the world. You love the lost. You love your neighbor as yourself. As Jesus teaches us love. That is the ultimate result, the ultimate product of faith. Now, not only will these qualities enable us to partake in the divine nature, to become more like God, to share in his image, they will, according to Peter in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they are going up, then they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will prevent you from living a life that is unproductive and unfruitful. They will help you to be effective and fruitful in your ministry, in your Christian life, if you make every effort to add these to your faith. What will result is a life that makes a difference. A life that makes an impact on the world around you. And these are not optional. This is not a take it or leave it proposition here. This is a path that we embark upon when we profess faith. Peter says in verse 9, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. If you don't embrace this pathway of life it is as if you have not been cleansed of your former sins you don't understand that you don't appreciate that you're not grateful for that salvation 
this is part and parcel of your faith, your life of faith, which ultimately, along with God's grace, will bring salvation to you. This is not optional. Uh, This is a lifestyle that we all must embrace. And when we do, verses 10 and 11, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your calling and your election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. If you add these to your faith, they will be like guardrails around your life. And they will prevent you from falling away and from leaving your first love, from going astray. Add these things to your faith and they will create a hedge of protection around you that will keep you from apostasy, that will keep you firmly in the faith. Verse 11, in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So tonight, we, if you have, haven't started on this journey, we invite you to. We invite you to profess faith in Christ and as you go throughout your life, Bit by bit, little by little, you can supplement your faith with these various qualities that will bless you, that will make you productive and effective, and that will lead you into an eternal home with your Lord and Savior. Or if you need to get back on track tonight, if you need prayers for any reason to start out this new week, we want to invite you as well to come right now as we sing the song of encouragement. Why don't you?